Welcome. You are listening to Episode 3 of the Drop Lines Podcast with Mac and Jen. In this episode, Mac describes his wall of heads, Jen tells a tale of theater horror, we hear Mac's opinion on kids in shows, and Mac and Jen explain what it means to be upstaged. So I thought I'd point out uh, to our listeners that uh, we are sitting in my spare bedroom recording. Uh, my spare bedroom is, is being turned into my my audio studio, um, but it is also my prop costume wig hat room. <laughs> so we have we have on one wall behind Jen actually what my wife calls the wall of heads. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, four or five, there's four shelves there. I've got four shelves that are um, covered with wigs, or well, well, with styrofoam heads that have wigs and hats and, and whatnots on them. Um, yeah, it's a... It's <laughs> well, a I, should, I it, should selfie with should it. Selfie and then, with, the, with the wall of heads. <laughs> there you go. And now you can <laughs> link that to the podcast and everybody can see... <clears throat> The wall of the heads. wall of heads, and then there's like weapons. We've got weapons because I I make I make weapons. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we should have we should do a podcast sometime on uh on like stage props, like building stage props or something. Yeah, you make some pretty cool yeah. stage props. So I love the big key, the big wooden key, the giant that wooden key. I got makes. spears and halberds over there. Uh, there's a couple of, um, muskets that I, that I made for Moon Over Buffalo. <laughs> Those were made for the scene at the beginning where they're doing, uh, oh, yeah. where they're doing, uh, Cyrano de, Cyrano Bergerac. de Bergerac. Yeah. Um, I've got wooden swords that I, I made for Spamalot. And have been used in several other places. So th- those are the ones we used in Bluebeard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the wooden swords with the it's, color. I got stabbed with it. It hurt. <laughs> so but, not as much as a real sword. But imagine would have. had it been real. Yes. <laughs> but it was the last. It was closing night, and they, they um, actually got you. And so it of, got me right. Ran me in the because he was supposed to go under the arm, and he rammed me in the arm, and it it just took the skin right off of it, and there was a big bruise. But um, that's fine. I always get hurt. <laughs> so. I I made. Uh, I made pistols for Death and the Balloons. Oh, I made yeah. I made all of it because because they're you know everybody had pistols and and one of them was the murder weapon. So <laughs> I made a bunch of pistols for that. You know, so I, I like making props. It's fun. I've got a ray gun sitting over on the corner there that oh, was from cool. Rocky Horror Picture Show. There's a a scene towards the end of the yeah. play where Riff comes out and he, they're in their spaceman mm-hmm, outfits mm-hmm. and he's come to take. Frank back to Transylvania, the yes. planet Transylvania, not actually, <laughs> not actually Transylvania, but, a, but their planet. And, uh, he has a ray gun. So I, I made a ray gun for, um, for That's Rocky Horror. Pretty sweet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a combination of a, of a toy ray gun, um, a, um, uh, a trident. It was like a, yes. a devil's <laughs> trident and you know, a ball on a stick with, with some lightning bolts on it. 
<laughs> we we wanted it to look as sci-fi futuristic as possible. Yeah. So yeah, I I've got uh, helmets for um uh when we did Spamalot, I made all of the armor for Spamalot. So I've got uh there's a helmet on the top shelf up there that's um it's and it's foam. So it's very light, but it looks like your yeah. standard uh medieval helmet. We got the French knights helmets they're over in the corner over there. You know, the 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 guys that are up on the castle mm-hmm. patting their heads and mm-hmm. taunting him. <laughs> Your mother smelled of yeah, elderberries. Yeah. Your mother smelled of elderberries. Your mother was a hamster and your father <laughs> smelled of elderberries. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. That's it. Oh, oh. so good. <laughs> <sighs> it's time for Tales of Theater Horror. Tales of Theater Horror. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> Anyways, Jenna's going to tell us um, <clears throat> a horror story of of theatrical proportions. Uh, give us a give us a tale of a time something went wrong on stage. Uh, well, I I think um, I think we'll just go to the the one that that we had together. We were talking about this the earlier. One, yes, we were. Um, from Gaslight or um, Angel Street, so it's um it's it's set in a Victorian home, and we were actually using my dining room chairs, which which I think was probably built in the Victorian age based on the <laughs> the solidity of the glue. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably that old. And they're um, very pretty Victorian um, chairs that we had sitting next to a tea table. And um, spoiler alert, uh, during the last scene of of Gaslight. Yes. So if you haven't seen Gaslight, (laughs) tune out now because Jen is going to give away the the climax. Yes. As I want to do. Um, We were. What was your character's name? Manningham. Jack, Jack. Yeah. So Jack Manningham is tied to the chair and Bella is giving her final monologue and the the police are there outside of the door and she's going to give this big monologue and call for the police to come in and they're going to take him away. And so I'm delivering the monologue and it's very emotional and intense and loud, lots of tears. And I, I am standing behind the chair at one point and I'm thinking in my head, is he? leaning back in the chair and why would he and the real real reality is i was leaning forward because the chair was falling apart underneath me (laughs) because i could i could feel like the chair felt like it was angled like towards me and it should not be angled towards me when i sat down i audibly heard a crack when i sat down and i'm like oh my god and i could feel the the back separating from the seat as i'm sitting there so I am literally, I scooted as far forward on the chair as I could possibly get so that I was pulling with my legs to keep the chair mm-hmm. from falling apart underneath me. Yeah. yeah. It, wa- watching it back now, I mean, he's essentially like just in a squat, you know, <laughs> the entire Hold, time. Holding the chair together. Holding the chair together, <laughs> sitting as though he's a chair. And I had no idea what was going on. I'm, I'm delivering it. And when I walk behind him and I put my hands on the chair and I could feel that something was not right. And I didn't, I thought maybe he had accidentally like rocked like back a little bit. And so he might tip backwards. So even as I'm talking, I'm trying to like push the chair forward and that's not working. And so I still wasn't exactly sure what was going on. So I go and I I deliver 
the the line I'm looking and he looks particularly pained, like more than usual. <laughs> the expressions are so fantastic. And I'm like, something's not right. And I get the last, the very last line of the monologue out of my mouth and the chair just falls apart and he just boom, right on the ground. And of course the the ropes that were holding him, which were really they weren't really tied anyway, um, no, just fall no. off. And so I had to hitch up my skirt and jump over <laughs> the debris. You, you, you did. You leaped over me. And um, in as, order to get to the door. As and, I pretended to escape. Yes. I'm like, yeah. what am I going to do? Because I, the inspectors were out there and I'm like, if I have to get to them so that he can't leave. Mm-hmm. and um, or come after me, which I don't think the character would have done. I think he would have tried to escape. But either way, he's a dangerous man. And so I hopped over him so that I could get to the door before he did. Also, because the actors off stage really didn't know what was going on. So I didn't want him to open the door and them to be thrust into the situation where they're like, what's going on? <laughs> and um, though I think we had discussed that it would have been smarter for your character to have headed towards the um to- to go out the, the know, dressing room the dressing door, room door instead. instead of instead of running straight for where they were. Yeah, yeah, but I wasn't really sure what he was going to do. And so I figured mm. I need to get to those those doors first, regardless, so that the police can come in. And even if he leaves, they could just chase him out and we can still finish the scene. Right. You know, right. nobody really needs to know what's happening. And so um, so I hopped over him and the chair's just like laying there. <laughs> in pieces and And, so (laughs) it was funny because um when they when the lights went down i knew we had to move the chair for um for curtain call because they didn't want anybody to trip on it so uh, another actress and myself as soon as the lights went down instead of just leaving you can kind of see us in the dark pick the chair up (laughs) and we set the chair pieces on the chaise that was there and then we walked off stage i I didn't know that (laughs) yeah it's um i'll have to i'll have to show uh, you the video sometime (laughs) Yeah, that chair gave at exactly the right moment. It, 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 it did. It, it was it was uh, perfect, absolutely perfect timing. And I've had so many people. That was opening night. No, but, no, it wasn't opening night. Was, I thought it was no, opening night no, of the was, show because then we had to bring in another. It was opening weekend. Okay, maybe it was the second night. Maybe it was the second night. I think night. it was the second performance. Okay. It was... Yeah. Um, and because we, we had to bring in another chair to break. <laughs> yes, yeah, we we did. And then and then Mac was fantastic because then he fixed the chair for I, me. I, I felt bad, which was good. But it was the timing was perfect, and a lot of people had no idea. They thought that that was um, part of the show. Somebody actually asked me after the show how we how rigged that chair that? to fall apart at exactly the right moment. <laughs> and I said, uh, I told him it was it was theatrical magic. That, that <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We had a we had a remote control release. <laughs> That was run from off stage. No, I didn't. It just that. the the, ti- <laughs> the timing was really perfect because if anybody has seen the show, you know, I mean, this is this is really this is the climax. It is. Yes. This is the climax of the show. <laughs> She's giving this big monologue. If the chair would have broken at any point during that monologue, there would be no choice but to stop the monologue. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you would just have to. There's 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 no way that this guy who's waiting she for the police outside. She could have hit him over the head with something yes. and then finished her monologue, I suppose. I I, yes, that, that mm. would have been so, I'm not done talking and just knocked you out. But otherwise, I mean, he knows the police are right outside. He's not just going to stand there and let her finish monologuing. This isn't right. a superhero movie. <laughs> you know, he's, he's going to try dog. to escape or he's going to try to attack her. One of the, like, these are your options here. Right. And so it would end the monologue, which is a fantastic monologue. It's where she's finally you know she's getting her comeuppance and and she's finally 
just letting him have it and getting to say everything that she feels. And it would have been tragic for me as an actor not to deliver that whole monologue. So it was perfect. Really, you held the chair and the scene together. Mac, with, and with it was sheer willpower because there's <laughs> no other way to explain how I held that chair together that long. It, uh, no, it's it was when, sheer willpower. When I watch it now, it's so amazing <laughs> to watch because you know that there's like it's really like your legs and the way that you're sitting where you're just kind of holding everything together and the chair really isn't. And um, so it was it was a horror story, but one that worked out well because no one else knew and the timing was absolute perfection right. but the chair could have given away during any other scene as yeah, well which yeah. would have just been like <laughs> very interesting um how we would have handled that yeah you know you might be right that might actually have been opening night because it, okay. it might have been because we used that chair all week in rehearsal yeah yeah, I, I, I think that it was. And then I, I posted a, a picture of the broken chair with the caption, when we say edge of your seat drama, we're not joking. <laughs> it really was because Mac was just holding on by a cheek. Yes, I was. So that is that is it's not just Jen's, but that is yeah, also it's, my it's a horror story. Yeah, and probably more for you because you had to do more work in that. But it was more surprising to me because I had no idea what was going on. You know, I wasn't clued into the last I, second where I was like, oh, I'm telling you, from the moment I sat down, I was like, this chair is not right. And I could just feel it slide <laughs> underneath me. It, it certainly affected my performance from then on out and all the other shows. Um, because even though we had different chairs, I mean, they're still all part of the same set. So every time I sat down, it was like, oh. <laughs> hmm. And I would sit well, on this, the edge. Well, and this chair hold me to that. Yes. Like, is, is, this going to, is this going to make it through? And it did. We mm. didn't have any other troubles with um, with the set. <laughs> All right, so that's that's Jen's horror, horror. story. <laughs> this has been a tale of theater horror. There's this um, there's this theory in some community theaters that the larger the cast you have, the more people are going to come see it because now you've got. Oh, a little Friends, more family. family, yeah. Especially if it's if it's child heavy. So I've been in shows where most of the roles, most of the speaking roles, were filled by adults, but then they would fill the chorus with as many <laughs> children as they could possibly fill it with, and you know, and they, get large audiences and, and then sell they, out. And then they would, you know, advertise it as the kids' version of whatever it is. Well, yeah, the adults were playing the actual roles, and the kids were just there. Mm-hmm. as bait no. <laughs> you know because yeah. let's let's face it uh, if you put 15 children on a small stage having them singing it's probably adorable yeah but is it good theater no, probably no. not and and you're cramming them in there for no other reason than you know to sell tickets, to sell tickets. and no. that really bothers me yeah, as a director i i think i think that just bothers me in general i mean it, it just depends on on the theater and what their goal is. If your goal is just to sell tickets, then I suppose that works. But is your yeah. goal to put on good theater and to um, have a good vehicle for people who want to be in theater? I mean, because mm-hmm. how is that for the adult actors in it? You know, is that <laughs> an uncomfortable experience or just, you know, 
not as enjoyable because there's maybe there's not as much space. Um, rehearsals probably get bogged down with, you know, lots of children being there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. It just is that a good experience for for the actors? Are they enjoying themselves as much as they would have if you would have done a show that was more geared towards that, you know, them. <laughs> and so I, I think that personally, I'd like to say I want to put on theater, but I want to put on good theater. Yeah. I, I don't want to just be in anything and just have a bunch of people see it. Now we take you to Mac and Jen's term of the month. Let's talk about stage directions. Yeah, I have them here. So this week uh, we're going to talk, our terminology is going to be on stage directions because we feel that in community theater, sometimes uh, these are easily confused. And as a amateur actor who is standing on the stage, when a director gives me a stage direction, Sometimes either I don't know where to go or they're not telling me the correct place to go. Mm -hmm. So we, we want to clear this up. Yes, so I've, I've had that happen. Even some stage managers that weren't aware of the difference between like stage right and stage left. So let's start with those stage left and stage right. What What is stage left and stage right? So that is from the point of view of the actor. So if you're standing on stage, mm -hmm. your right is stage right and your left is stage left if you're facing the audience. And so. Jen and I are facing each other. So <laughs> when she points left, I'm looking to the right. <laughs> and see, and that's exactly the problem some directors have mm -hmm. is, is they'll oftentimes, and I, and I do this myself, is you'll be sitting in the uh, in the audience or where the audience would be and you're directing and you're going, okay, I want you to come down stage. And then you point where you want them to go. And, and I have to stop and think about it. That's my right hand. Go stage left. <laughs> and so, yeah, so stage left and stage right are definitely um, from the actor's point of view, stage, mm -hmm. stage left being on the left side of the stage from the actor's point of view and stage right being on the right, right side of the stage. Um, upstage and downstage uh, is one of those things that I think in a lot of community theaters, the reason for upstage and downstage is lost because mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of theaters have an actual upstage. Up <laughs> um, it's my understanding and, and only because I used to teach English uh, literature and we studied a lot of Shakespeare. Stages were raked. So mm -hmm. when you were standing in the backside of the stage, away from the audience, you were literally higher in elevation than mm -hmm. the people who were standing in front of you because the stage was raked. And the reason for raking the stage is you probably didn't, couldn't afford to raise the audience, audience. at all. Um, so you would rake the stage. The audience would then be able to see people in the back of the stage easier because they're mm -hmm. up higher. So that's upstage. I don't think I've ever worked on a stage that was really, that was actually raked. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think I've ever. I don't ever. think it's something modern theaters do all that much anymore, um, especially not community theaters. Um, and then of course, downstage is obviously the part down towards the audience, audience. because you would be going downstage yes. and you, you hear the term all the time upstaging, mm -hmm. which has to do with where people are standing on the stage mm -hmm. and how you're reacting to that. Um, I mean the term upstage, well, I'm, I'm kind of going on to a different term, but, uh, but it comes from this is, is, uh, and I see this all the time in community theater where somebody is further up the stage further back in the mm -hmm. stage than somebody else. And that person in the front of the stage downstage is, has turned their body so that they can view the person upstage because mm -hmm. we as human beings have this 
overriding desire to look at people when we talk to them. <laughs> and I've had this conversation with a lot of new actors. I don't care if you can see the person you're talking to. Mm-hmm. What I care about is can the audience hear you mm-hmm. and can they see your facial expressions? Mm-hmm. And so you are literally upstaging yourself yes. by turning your back to the audience because that's somebody who is who is further upstaged than you has the focus of the audience. You are downstage. You have turned your back to the audience. You've been upstaged. and mm-hmm. But that term has come to mean far more than just that. You know, it, yeah. means, it means somebody it means else doing, outshining, outshining yeah. uh, or doing things that draw attention Should to them when mm-hmm. they shouldn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you get that a lot sometimes too. Mm-hmm. But, but, it, but that does come from, again, the positions on the stage and the fact that the, the focus is often further upstage. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's the people in the back. Um, correct me if you don't think I'm right, but yeah, uh, no, no, or, that's, that's the same yeah. thing I've heard. I mean, it's used in, in different ways. Um, if, if you are being upstaged, um, sometimes I've heard it used to, if you're kind of in that position, but you're letting that person who's in front of you kind of force you out of the scene, you know, with their own body by mm. pushing you further back in the scene rather than counter crossing or adjusting yourself or holding your ground. So you can, you can be upstaged by somebody else physically in that manner, or then, that person can upstage themselves by turning and delivering towards um, the upstage direction as well. There's a, there's a, there's, there's an art that I think is lost on a lot of community theater actors delivering lines directly to the audience. Mm -hmm. And I, and I see this a lot in people who have done a lot of theater in the round. Um, When you're in, in the round, it becomes much easier to behave naturally because mm-hmm. I can face the other actor and most of the audience can see my face. They might not see his face because now he's facing away from them, depending upon where you're sitting in the audience. So when you're directing something in the round, you no longer have stage left, stage mm-hmm. right, upstage, downstage. It becomes much more difficult to tell an actor, look, you, you can't stand that way because not everybody can see you. Well, no matter where you stand, <laughs> not everybody can see you. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to, to do different things. And actors that are in that situation, that have been in that situation a lot, I think sometimes lose the, or maybe never learn the skill of working mm-hmm. on a proscenium or a thrust um, where the audience is only on one side of you or on three sides of you. And then you have to make sure you play to the audience. Yes. And so not upstaging yourself sometimes is just a matter of learning when it's more appropriate to turn to the audience and deliver the line mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, or when it's appropriate to the person who's further upstage from you, don't turn and look at them. Mm-hmm. People don't look at each other when they talk to each other all the time. Yeah, it, no, it's, not always. It's, it's quite all right for me to be staring off into space and talking to people. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I was doing it just now while we were talking. So <laughs> I've been to shows where I wanted to find the director and smack him. <laughs> Because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my God, half of the actors are delivering their, their lines upstage. Yes. Yeah. And when you deliver a line upstage, you lose facial expressions. Yes. You lose volume. Yes. Um, and it takes the audience kind of out of it. When you do that, if you have to deliver a line upstage, if you ever have to deliver a line upstage, you have to project more. Mm-hmm. And not all, not all actors think through that. Mm-hmm. If, especially if the director doesn't tell them to do it, <laughs> you know, 
But I've seen shows where the director purposely put people upstage and downstage to draw attention away from the person downstage. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and used prudently, it's a good, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, but I've also seen shows where it was just poorly blocked. Yes. And, yeah. and there, you know, there's a difference there. And, and, and I would much rather see it done on purpose for a reason than just because it was poorly blocked. Yeah. There are cheats. And I think that's part yeah. of the problem with people who aren't experienced on stage is they're uncomfortable holding their either their they, body. Either they haven't learned the cheats, no one's ever, no one's ever yeah. explained it to them or, yeah. They, they can, I, I understand like a lot of people can feel very uncomfortable just sort of gesturing towards people or just looking to the right, but not up stage yeah, to where yeah. the person is. And they don't, I, I think it's because they don't realize though, um, that these things play well, you know, from the audience, the, the audience can't tell that you're not looking directly at the person in a lot of cases. And in other cases, it just doesn't matter that you're not looking directly at the person and you need to be comfortable having your your body open and learning sometimes just turning a foot slightly on an angle will open you up and, and yeah. open your face up. And so um, so there are there are little cheats and, and tricks. And I, I think it just for me at this point it comes very naturally for me to just adjust my body the way that I need to. But um, but but that's not the case with a lot of new actors. And so there's a lot no, of times when no, I've yeah. worked with people and they just, I'm like, no, you're, you're completely facing me and nobody can see what you're. And nobody can see you doing. and they probably can't hear you. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's a so, problem. So we started talking about the uh, stage directions and we've, mm -hmm. we've kind of uh, rolled. We've, we have bunny trails. We, that's our new term. Maybe pop, we should have. Maybe we should have called the uh, the podcast Bunny, Bunny Trails. Trails. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's I think it's uh, useful information for for new new actors doing community theater that you know it's important to know stage left and stage right mm -hmm. and upstage and downstage. Mm -hmm. It's still important to understand your body position as far as where the other actors are, where the audience is, and it's it's difficult to override the brain because we're used to standing facing directly squaring ourselves up to somebody to mm -hmm. talk to them. And in theater, if you're having a conversation with somebody on stage, the two of you are never facing each other. You're, you're, <laughs> you're standing beside each other and you're kind of turned towards each other, but you're open to the audience. Yes. Our, our term for the, our terms for the, uh, for the week are stage directions, but we've definitely bunny trailed on that one. <laughs> and I love that term bunny trail. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus content. I've had shows that I didn't even tell people I was in because I didn't think they were any good. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't trying to sell any uh, tickets. I'm like, no, don't I, come. I was in I was in one recently where I was kind of embarrassed to tell anybody I was in it. Not, not that I thought I was bad. I saw that. And, you know. <laughs> Um, but I came. I know. You don't even have to tell me. I know which one yeah, it is. Yeah, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say what no. it was. Over the over the internet waves. It's not the airwaves. I'm not on the, I'm not on the radio anymore. You have been listening to the Drop Lines podcast with Eric J. McAnallen and Jen Ryan, the monthly podcast about community theater. Drop Lines drops onto the interwebs the last Tuesday of every month. So join us next month for more tales of theater horror, theater words defined and any other bunny trail we decide to hop down. For more information, visit us on the web at www.droplines.com. And don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>